faith has in our own lives. When we divide faith apart from what happens in our everyday lives, we begin to minimize the role our faith has in our lives. We begin to relegate it to one day a week or maybe 15 minutes in the morning and an evening when we have prayer time with God. And we find that the rest of our time is spent in pursuit of worldly things. As you know, the scripture reminds us that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Well, this isn't just about how we spend the treasure that's in our pocketbooks. This is about how we spend the treasure of our time. If the lion's share of our time is spent pursuing the powers of the world, if we're climbing corporate ladders and trying to have power over and above other people, then our lives are being shaped by worldly things and not by our faith. If we are a bully in the boardroom five days a week, how do you think we will arrive when we show up in the church room? No, when we separate our lives of faith from the life that we lead in the world, we risk weakening our own faith because we limit the power that God has over us and in us to make us a witness in all areas of our lives. It is so tempting to think that we can divide ourselves, that we can have places that are sacred and then go into places that are secular. But the truth, the truth that's found in all of Scripture is that there is one world, God's world. And any division we make negatively impacts both spheres. Isaiah's words for us today highlight the risk of dividing the world and the church. But they also remind us what it might look like if we lived and acted with consistency. If we didn't separate what happens in the world from what happens in the church. Isaiah says this, is this not the fast that I choose? In other words, the fast that he would suggest over and against his previous words, condemning those who fasted but still oppressed their workers. He says, is this not the fast I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the bonds of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Isaiah says that if we live in this way, if we live our faith out in the world, if we take the church everywhere we go with us, then we will be called repairers of the breach. Several weeks ago, I had the privilege of being invited to a gathering of the last gathering of the district UMW, United Methodist Women, for the Atlanta Roswell District. As you know, our, our conference has changed our grouping of local churches, and so that group was getting together for the last time to celebrate their many years of ministry, and they invited our resident bishop, Bishop Sue Halpert Johnson, to offer a devotional. She shared these words from Isaiah 58, and I must confess that ever since I have heard her devotional, I have been stirring in my head this idea that maybe, just maybe, as Christians, as the church, as the body of Christ at work in the world, we are called to be repairers of the breach. If you study the sermons of John Wesley, you will certainly see this theme as a prominent one. Because Wesley, in his methodical way, believed that we were called to a holistic faith. John Wesley taught 
that the means of God's grace didn't just come in one place or one time, but through a variety of places and actions. And for Wesley, his encouragement to people of faith was to seek out the grace of God, these means of grace, in all places that they can be found. The means of grace for Wesley are this. Places where God's grace is manifest in our world. And he talks about them in two broad categories. Maybe you've heard of before. Acts of piety, which are things that we do to grow closer to God. And acts of mercy, which are things that we do to grow closer to our neighbors. But for Wesley, it doesn't just stop there because there are outward and inward ways that we practice acts of piety and acts of mercy. In fact, there is a helpful illustration that you may have seen. It's a Jerusalem cross, and someone has applied some broad categories from Wesley's Means of Grace sermon over this cross. A Jerusalem cross is a large, equal-sided cross, and within each quadrant, four smaller crosses. If you can imagine that, there is one quadrant, the top half, that is personal acts of devotion, and the bottom is communal acts. And then on the left side, you have acts of piety, and on the right side of mercy. And so each quadrant crosses a different sphere. If you're speaking of acts of mercy in the personal category, you have those acts of compassion. Those little things that you do. Maybe you're at a stoplight and someone is in need of food and you hand them a $5 bill. Or maybe you do some other kindness to a stranger or a friend that you meet. Those are acts of compassion. But when acts of compassion are taken out into the communal sphere, when people act compassionately together, that creates acts of justice, where we begin to tackle larger systems of oppression. When we bring that into acts of piety, and we talk about our personal piety, these are our acts of devotion that we do sometimes by ourselves in our prayer closet. It's that praying and studying of scripture that happens between us and God. And then in that final quadrant, we take those acts of devotion into a corporate sense. When we join together as a community in acts of piety, we have what we're doing today, corporate worship. Wesley reminds us that we can't favor any one of these quadrants or else the cross of Christ becomes distorted. If we took too much time in just acts of mercy, if we spend all of our time serving other people, working for justice in our world, but we never tend to our personal devotional life, we become burnt out. We forget why it is we do what we do in the first place. Likewise, if we spend all of our time in devotion, we come to worship, we pray, but we never engage the world, then we have no witness and we have no relevance. Our practice of piety doesn't further the transformation of us together as a society and a world. And so John Wesley believed that when we in churches and communities of faith begin to sense some dysfunction within us, it is often because we have become out of balance. We have separated ourselves in some way. We have divided our faith to the detriment of all areas. Wesley, being methodical, created for the small groups that he supported back in 18th century England, a list of questions. The aim of these questions was for the people of that small group to hold one another accountable, 
to begin thinking about whether something in their life had become askew. Maybe they were dividing the sacred and the secular, the church and the world. And it was beginning to show because their witness was being diminished. And these are the kinds of questions that Wesley would ask. These are not simple questions like, did you partake in acts of mercy or piety? These are deeper questions about how our attitude is impacted when we become off balance. Wesley encouraged him to ask questions like this. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Am I honest in all my acts and words? Or do I exaggerate? Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Did the Bible live in me today? Did I give it time to speak to me? Am I enjoying prayer? When did I last speak to someone about my faith? Do I pray about the money I spend? Trigger warning, these next few are a little touchy. <laughs> Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold resentment towards, or disregard? If so, what am I going to do about it? Do I grumble or complain constantly? And then Wesley suggests finishing with this. Is Christ real to me? These may have been geared towards people in 18th century England, but I don't know about you, I find them convicting still today. Because when we as people of faith have division in our faith lives, when what we do in the world and what we do in the church have no place together, we become skewed in our witness. Sometimes we find that we're being shaped by how the world has taught us to be. Ideas of how the world suggests we gain power or hold power over other people. How we are entitled to what we want, regardless of what it costs someone else. Sometimes it's that we're spending so much time in our faith lives, so much time connecting ourselves with God, that we're missing the opportunity to help other people connect with God by our witness and the world. And when we do this, we might find ourselves grumbling or complaining, saying that if only they would, like I do. But we know that the witness of the church is at its strongest. When we are whole in our Christian faith, when we are tending to our relationship with God and our relationship to others, when we are living into what Isaiah calls the call to be repairers of the breach. I don't need to tell you that there are divisions in the world. There are divisions at all kinds of levels, and my friends, there are even divisions within the church. I'm not surprised that as humans we tend to divide ourselves, but I am convicted when people of faith fail to show up to bridge the divide. Because that is the powerful witness God is calling us to in the world today. God is not calling us to join any other teams but God's. God is calling us to show how God, above everything else, can bring together diverse people. God can bring together the church and the world, the sacred and the secular, and in doing so, we may find a more powerful witness of God's grace.
it's sometimes hard to follow this practice because we may find ourselves giving in to habits that we have formed. But the truth is that faith is a practice. It's not a magical inoculation. Belief in God is the first step of a life that opens up to waking up every morning and choosing God over and over again. It's a practice that calls us to question ourselves and our motives, to ask of one another the same questions that Wesley had or the first small groups asking themselves, so that we can strive to be more and more like Christ. It's trying to cultivate the mind of Christ within us that we may be workers of healing in God's world and asking the world to do the same. The hard truth that we have to face when we see division in our world and in our churches is that we will never be able to bridge a divide we do not acknowledge. And unfortunately, we will never want to bridge a divide that serves us well. But if we are open, God is ready to use us. God is ready to guide us in a way of healing. Not the cheap kind of healing that just looks nice on the surface, but the deep, transformative work of grace. The work of grace that calls us to the fast, that loose the bonds of injustice, that undo the thongs of the yoke, that let the oppressed go free, that share bread with those who are hungry, that bring the homeless into our houses, that clothe the naked, and that find us not hiding from anyone, whether we agree with them or not. Church, we know there is hurt in the world, but the good news for us today and every day is that God has given us a role in bringing hope to our world and bringing answers to problems and bringing bridges to divisions. God has called us to be repairers of the breach, to work that all may be united, that the church and the world may be one place in God, that God's grace may not only be found on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, but on Wednesdays at 2 p.m., that people, whether they encounter us here or in our work or at our schools, will see the message of God lived out in our lives. Because God has created us to be whole people, whole disciples, who work for the wholeness of the world. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning acknowledging that there are divisions in our world, and God, even in our Christian communities. us. Give us courage to be repairers of the breach, 
to work in and through your world that division may end, that all may find common ground in you and in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray today. Amen. I invite you now to stand as you are able and join in singing together our final hymn, To God Be the Glory, verses 1 and 3.